Thank you for tuning in to our Bear Creek AG podcast. You are about to listen to our weekly Bible study with Pastor Tony. Thanks for joining in. All righty. Well, we are in week five of all of things, the book of Amos. Uh, we're going to be going into um, chapter three tonight. Uh, it's interesting. I had a conversation uh, with my wife this week, and um, she was actually excited. She says, are we still going to be doing being Amos this week? And I says, yes. Yeah. She says, good. And she, she kind of acted. I said, are you excited about that? She says, I'm enjoying it. So not that she's a thermometer, but it's just good to hear that. I've heard several people say how much they've enjoyed studying the book of Amos, and you guys have been very chatty on Wednesday night, so that's good. So I want to encourage you tonight. Bible study is only as good as you're prepared for it. If you've read ahead, chapter 3, and then we engage the text um, and try to build that bridge from the Old Testament into our lives today. And so we're going to do that. Now last week we, we concluded chapter 2. It took us two weeks to get through chapter 2. And we did it by looking at the description, description excuse me, of the judgment that was to come on Israel and how no one would be able to escape it. If remember, we talked about even the fleet of foot, the bowmen, those who ride horses. No one was going to be able to escape this judgment that was coming, because who's the judgment from? God. It was God's judgment upon His people. Now, chapter 3 is a continuation, and, and let me just throw this out there to you. I don't want to assume everybody understands this, uh, but when the book of Amos or any book in the Bible was written, it wasn't written in chapter and verse. I know sometimes you may not... You may know that, but you may not. In other words, when Amos wrote this book, when he spoke it, then later it was recorded what God spoke through him. It wasn't until the second century or so that they said, oh, let's split the Bible up in their books, which they already were, but let's do chapters and verses. And it's so that we could easily find chapters and verses. So just know that. So this is a continuation. This whole book of Amos is just a continuation of the prophecy. And today what's interesting as we look at chapter 3 it's kind of as if Amos, through God, is defending his ministry. When we look at this, he's just pronounced in chapter 1 uh, the judgment that was coming to the neighbors uh, of Israel. And, and then chapter 2, some more of the neighbors. But then it goes to Judah, their sister country. And then, of course, uh, we, we end chapter 2 with Israel. And now it's as if when we look at chapter 3, he's defending what he said. In other words, it's as if Amos is writing a defense to what he said in chapter 2 concerning the judgment of God upon Israel. And we're going to see this. We're going to break this down. We're not going to finish all of it tonight, but we're going to break down a good portion of it. Okay, so let's begin in verse 1, and then we're going to do it verse by verse. It says, Hear this word. Now remember, he is speaking, and in this case it's written down, to those who are hearing in Israel. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you. Catch it? Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you. Not me, I haven't spoken. O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. So right there you can tell that he's speaking, but really it's God speaking through him. So what kind of response do you think Amos received from the prophecy of chapter 2? What do you th how do you think the people of Israel felt when, when Amos came and gave the, the, the judgment of God? Come on, talk to me. How would you have felt? They didn't like it. They didn't like it. Or they said, that's not for me, that's for my neighbor, right? I mean... Come on, who are you? Now see, we, we respect Amos because he is in the canon of the 66 books that make up 
the Holy Writ, the Holy Bible. So from our vantage point, we respect it. For this is a guy from Judah who says God is using him to prophesy against Israel. And exactly, he wasn't received very well. And there's probably some pushback from the people. Who are you to speak to us this way? And so Amos begins, or should we say the Lord begins through Amos by reminding Israel that what he said was what God has spoken. In other words, Amos is saying, or God's saying through Amos, look, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just the messenger. These are not my words. These are God. I feel that way sometimes when I preach and teach, to be honest with you. Look, these are God's words. These aren't my words. These are God's words. So don't shoot the messenger. These aren't my words. They're the words of the Lord. I'm just giving them to you. And so that, that, that's what he says. Hear the word of the, that the Lord has spoken. The Lord has spoken against you. And then he goes into first person. O Israel, my family that I brought out of Egypt. God says, I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. Okay. Um, Amos uh, verse 2 in chapter 3. You only have I known all the families of the earth. So you only have I known of all the families. Therefore I will punish you for your iniquity. So now Amos, now something else you may not understand about the writing and the, how the Middle Eastern during this period of time, how, how they wrote, how they communicated. Have, have you ever noticed that in Genesis that chapter 2 is just kind of a repeat of chapter 1? Or is it chapter, excuse me, chapter 3 is a repeat of chapter 2? but yet with more detail. And that's kind of how they write. It's kind of a circular thing. They'll go broad, and then they'll start saying the same thing, but with more detail. And that's what we see. He's given a judgment, chapter 2. He said, this is of God, not of me. And now it starts, it's going to start giving more detail as we go through the book of Amos. And so here we have him. He's saying, hey, this is the source of this message. All right, this, this, is, this is the grounds, and, and he gives the grounds for God's message through him. Israel had a special relationship with God. What kind of relationship did Israel have with God and God with Israel? They were his people. How were they his people? He delivered them, but even before he delivered them, they were his covenant people. Who did he make his covenant first with? Abraham. It wasn't that God chose a nation. Hear me. God did not choose a nation. God chose a man, and out of that man, He created a nation. And He says, out of Abraham, and He reiterated this covenant over and over. Even He did it with, with Isaac. He did it with Jacob. He, he will find that He does it throughout with His people. And so what happened, He says, listen, we have a special relationship. You're here because, and we all are here because of God, but you are special because I chose you. We're in covenant together. I don't want to get personal, but they even had a physical exterior, exterior sign of the covenant that they agreed to be in with God. There was, this was a real, I don't even want to call it a contract, but this was an agreement, a covenant. And he says, listen, you're my family. He says, of, of all the families of everybody, I have chosen you. We are, we're family, okay? And you're the people I brought out of the land of Egypt, James. Absolutely, remind them the deliverance. And so through Amos, the head of the family, God, was now about to speak, hence the first person pronoun. So, through God is now the head of the family speaking through Amos, and he goes through first person. As a redeemed people, Israel is also a privileged people. 
What was the privilege that the Israelites had by being in covenant with God? Come on, talk to me, guys. There's no, I'm not going to shoot you down if you're wrong. I'll guide the conversation. But think about it. What, are, what were their privileges by being in covenant with God? They, God spoke to them, whether it was through Moses or through the prophets or through the judges, God spoke to them. Absolutely. We don't, we don't really have a record of God doing that a whole lot with, with the pagans, with the Gentiles. Okay, what, what, else, what else was the privileges they had through the covenant with God? Well, James, why do you have to cut to the chase so quick, buddy? I mean, why do you have to just jump to where we are today, dude? I mean, absolutely, I'm building that bridge. But yes, what are the privileges, then, James, that we have today? Oh, they have joy, they have peace, they have the, you know, the, the gifts of the Spirit. I mean, that's what God gave those people, too, right? I mean, in a different way. I mean, but I'm saying, right? I mean, like Abraham, it said, you know, the Bible, the Bible says Abraham was faithful and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Absolutely. Right? I mean, so... By having faith in God, you didn't have hope. Job had the faith that Job had was allow him to be able to suffer all the things he suffered and not give up on his life and not give up on God. Because they had that relationship. And with it, they seen the provision of God, the protection of God, Jehovah Jireh, right? Uh, we see that they knew God by who he was and what he did for them. And that was because of the covenant. God didn't do that for everybody. But also with that, they had the responsibility of what because of covenant? They had to walk in step with God. And a lot of times we don't see this in the New Testament, okay? But, I mean, in the Old Testament. But we got to remember, God was in covenant with Abraham. He blessed Abraham and his seed so that what? That Abraham and his seed would be a blessing to the nations. Okay? And we know the ultimate blessing to the nations was Jesus. But yet... Even though it's not the, even though the term evangelical probably is not the right term to use in the Old Testament, they, they, the children of Israel were representation of God on earth. The other nations should have been envious of Israel because of God's hand upon them. And we do see that for a time. We do see that. We see that when they come out of Egypt, God's hand, they go in and God through miraculously helps them conquer the land. Of course, we know then there's a generation, according to judges, that knew not God. and So they fell back in sin. So God sent judges and it was just back and forth. But then something happened. They wanted a king. He raises up Saul. Saul failed as a king. So God raised up a better man than Saul. Man after his own heart. And David, and we see through David, although he had his flaws, he honored God, he served God, he worshipped God, he brought the nation underneath the covenant of God, and God blessed him. And he blessed the nation of Israel. Of course, we know after that, if you don't know your Bible history, after David died, Solomon became king, and after Solomon, this, the nation split. And this is kind of where we are 400 years later, after David and Saul. Uh, excuse me, not Saul. David and Solomon. Excuse me. All right, so I kind of went around my nose here to get to. But the, basically, they were in, in that, and because of that, they had all these privileges. And God says, I know you, right? He says, I have known all the family, but I, have, I, but I know you. He says, I know you. And this is, in the Hebrew, this is more than just, hey, I know you. This is a knowing of a person. This is an intimate relationship with a person. It's the same knowing that when in Genesis it says, and Adam knew Eve, and then suddenly children show up. It's intimate. It's that intimate knowing. He says, hey, I know you. Now, the problem with that is that 
as God's chosen people, what happened to Israel's mindset about their relationship with God? Now, I'm, I'm going to kind of lead you here because there's a lot of answers. But they thought there was a better God. They thought they was what, Brother Ben? They thought they had a better God. They started serving other gods. Good. What? Okay, now i got to kind of lead you here because I want us to discuss it. I just don't want to regurgitate information because it applies to us today as a church, James, or as individuals that make up a church today, the Bride of Christ. Um, how, how can I lead it without giving you the answer of what I'm looking for? I really want you to think this through. Um, why, why do you think they started, why did they start serving other gods? What gave them the right, or what do you think went through their mindset to serve other gods? Now, there's a lot of answers here, but pride. Uh, pride? They weren't walking with God like they used to walk with God, and the further away you get from God, the more. Okay, we're walking in, in, in covenant relationship and walking away from God, not as close to God, drifting farther apart. Good, good, good. Okay. After all, I don't know where Solomon. I don't know. I was just thinking, where did Egypt start taking the Jews as slaves, or what part of? Well, the the long time, and they probably got. They were. They were. It was four hundred years, approximately, give or take. That's a round number of when um, Jacob and or Joseph's brothers and his father Jacob come due to the famine. But because they never left there, they grew in numbers and for long. We don't know exactly when. I, I'm sure Egyptian history might tell us. But the Bible, but it was a period of time they, they grew so large that they actually enslaved them. Brother Joey? They had the same problem that Christians have today. They wanted to be like everybody else. Want to be like everybody else. Absolutely. Mary Lou? Okay, <laughs> you was going to say that first? He preempted you. Bingo. They got, they got comfortable. They, hear me now, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about this. All those answers are correct, but underlying is pride, and their pride says, we're God's chosen. We're God's chosen. And no matter what, we'll always be. And no matter what, we're always going to be God's chosen people, see? Um, and, and that, that idea, uh, one of the commentaries that I read, it said the belief that Israel had been chosen by God for a particular service to the rest of the world, because they were, they were to evangelize the world for God, even in the Old Testament, they were to, other countries should be envying their relationship with God. Listen, just because you weren't Jewish didn't mean in the Old Testament you couldn't be in relationship with God. Now, you couldn't worship like they could in the temple when the temple was raised, and we even see that in the New Testament because in the New Testament they, they had the Gentile court where only where if you weren't a blooded Jew, if you weren't a Jew by birth, you couldn't go in certain parts, but yet you could still worship. Matter of fact, uh, you may not know this, but water baptism, I'm going to be preaching on this a couple of weeks so it's really fresh on my mind. Water baptism was not instituted by John the Baptist. It was already a practice done in the synagogue for people who wanted to convert one to Judaism. And said, hey, it's a symbol of I'm now a Jew. So J John took something very 
practical and intimate and spiritual, and he gave it a different meaning, or really Jesus did. So anyways, that's, that's in a couple weeks. So my point I'm trying to make is, at the heart of this idea that we're God's chosen people, at the heart of every expression of Hebrew thought, this is there. Everything about them is about we are God's chosen people. And there was an, an idea of pride, arrogance about we are. God chose us. And such a concept without parallel among other nations in the ancient Near East. In other words, in the popular theology of that day, favor meant that Israel was exempt from punishment. They felt like because they were God's chosen people, they did not have to worry about judgment upon them. God's going to judge everybody else. Look how God delivered us from the hands of the Egyptians. That's part of our history. Now, we're hundreds of years later, but look how God took care of the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Philistines, right? This is post-David. Look how God blessed our nation and how our nation grew. And During the times of David, they were the modern-day United States of America, if you would, the power of the known world at that time. That was God. And to be honest with you, today, the, the, uh, the Orthodox Jews still believe when Messiah comes back, because they didn't see Jesus as the Messiah, that once again He will restore their nation to that type of nationality. It's all about being the... And truthfully, they're right. Aren't they? They're right. They just missed Him as a sacrificial lamb. They missed Him coming as a lamb, but He is coming as a conqueror, okay? I hope I'm not going too fast. I know I'm bouncing around. It's either the anointing or it's the Mountain Dew. I don't know which it is. But I get excited talking about this. And that's what their idea was. They said, look, we, we are privileged. We're exempt from the punishment. But that was the farthest thing from the truth. The prophet Amos, he emphasized that Israel's selection by God meant that the nation must live by a higher standard. Because God knows you, because you are in covenant with God, there's a standard that's higher. You have to act better. You have to do better. You have to be kinder. You have to be more gracious than the pagan who doesn't know better. Absolutely. Absolutely. We just studied that about a month or so ago. Absolutely. Okay. Since Israel had sinned, even though they knew better, her punishment would be heavier. Therefore, I will visit upon you, punish all of your iniquities, okay? Now, James, is, honestly, he did kind of cut to the chase, and that's okay. I'll let you guys lead it, but do you see the parallels to where we live today? Not as the nation, not as the people of God as in covenant in the old covenant, but as the bride of Christ in the new covenant. Do, you, do we not? Now, this is broad strokes. I'm not talking about this church, obviously, or you folks by no means, Right? But do we see some parallels to today, to the modern church? At least as far as we can tell in our country. It's not... We, we accept the little white lies today just like they did. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. A little white lies. We, we're, we're, yeah, you know, truth. What is truth, right? Okay. What about this? What, what, what is our mantra today? And we talked about this, I think, last week I, in my memory bank. I, I believe we did. What is, what is our mantra? What, what do we stand upon today? What is the one thing that God extends to us that we stand upon today that, that just totally gives us, we believe, license to do whatever? Grace. grace. Now, I'm not an anti-grace guy, so I know I, 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 I talk a lot about grace from a negative, ne negative, negative perspective. But that's because we have abused God's 
grace. We have disgraced his grace by the way that we sometimes live our lives. Do we not? Are we any different in, 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 in retrospect to Israel that we're studying tonight in the book of Amos? Is, is, does not pride tell us, well, I can do this, and even though God doesn't like it, that's all right, he'll forgive me of it? Y'all getting quiet on me now. Don't get quiet. Go ahead, John. I do know that I think light of grace a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't keep my mind on it. Why I have the grace extended to me by God. That, and I, I just take it lightly. And the more lightly I take it, the more I step away. Step away. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, here's a question for you. Are you as a Christian or is the church today exempt from judgment or punishment? No. No. Um, there, is, there is judgment that we will receive on this side of death. And there is judgment on the other side of death. Now, the good news is, if you're a born-again believer... The judgment is not going to prevent you from heaven. It's not going to keep you out of heaven. Okay? All right. Does that make sense? Now, if you're not in relationship with God, then you're not only going to be judged in this life, but you will be judged in the next life. And your judgment will be separation. Matter of fact, your real judgment, if Christ is not Lord of your life, if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, then really your judgment is just separation from God for eternity in the lake of fire. Matter of fact, he won't even open up the rest of the books. As far as I can tell, maybe he will. But as a believer in Christ, we stand before him. And we will be judged for what we said, didn't say, do or didn't do. Your salvation is not, but your life, I don't know if he'll do holograms. I don't know. You know, we, we think God's going to get up there and read from a piece of paper. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, who, who knows? And I'm not saying it has to be technology, but when, when, who knows the thoughts God can just show, but boom, who knows what he's going to do? But your life is going to be opened up. The books are going to be opened up. Yep. Yeah, there's Anthony Tease. Yeah, he's, in, he, he's good. He's in the Lamb's Book of Life. Okay, well now let's open up the Book of Works. Let's see what Tony did with his life. Okay, well, Tony, you started off really good right here. Yeah, yeah. The first two years of your life, you were an angel. All right, but at about age three, buddy. Right? Uh, no, it won't be quite like that. But we, we understand we will be. Okay. We're going to be here. Pastor Tony, I, coronavirus has got my attention. Kind of go back and look. Charles Spurgeon, in 1854 in London, he was pastoring at a time when a terrible cholera epidemic left the city. Just a few years before, in 1849, another cholera epidemic killed 14,000 people. Wow. And so it was no wonder that when it returned five years later, people were fearful. Spurgeon addressed the issue in a sermon he preached and spoke about how things like plagues, pandemics, can test our faith and how they should drive us to see Christ in his mercy and grace. And in that sermon, Spurgeon said something very that stuck with me today. And I want to quote it. He said, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Wow. That's where we are in America today. Yeah. That's where this chapter is today. They're being tossed and turned and they're listening to the deceivement and lies and stuff that's going on every day. Yeah. And we have all we need 
God provides all we need. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in want. We don't have to worry about tomorrow. Matter of fact, Jesus is very explicit. Why? Why worry about tomorrow? I love the way I, you know, I read it from my personality, but I love that text in the in the um, Sermon on the Mount where he says, "Why, why worry about tomorrow? I mean, don't you have enough worries today?" I mean, that's the way I read it. It's kind of like, Tony, why are you worry about? You got enough worries today. Don't worry about tomorrow. It's tomorrow, take care of itself. Focus right now on me and you know in this time with me and 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 so that's so true brother ben we um there are things that happen in our life that throw us against the rock of ages which is christ and makes us depend on him and lean on him and and we need to be mindful of that and pride is a big issue in the christian church today in the christian world today uh we have to be mindful the the walk the the discipleship uh the the walk with christ is take up your cross daily. Work out your salvation daily with fear and trembling. It's, it's a walking, it's a journey. And pride tells us, you know what, I don't have to walk as close as I used to. Or, or pride says, oh, I am still walking, but I'm still going to be able, I can still do this. Or I, <clears throat> God understands. And we have to be careful of that. Uh, Proverbs 16, 18 is very plain. Pride goes before destruction. Destruction's coming when you live in a prideful state of mind and the haughty spirit before a fall. Israel did not heed the warnings of Amos or God through Amos. And Amos is not the only uh, prophet God would use, just like with Judah. But pride would say, no, this isn't meant for me. That's not of God. God really didn't mean that. And I'll be honest with you, I hear that in the Christian world today when we read Scripture and it's taught, it's preached, and, well, God didn't really mean that. He didn't mean it that way. That's very prevalent today in the world. We need to be careful of that. Amos 3, verses 3 and 6. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from his den if he has not taken, or if he has taken nothing? Does a bird fall in a snare on the earth when there is no trap for it? Does a snare spring up from the ground when it ha has taken nothing? Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? So we have here now... Amos, or God through Amos, is now kind of giving logic to the message, okay? Before making any further announcement of judgment, in his defense, you might say, Amos pauses here to establish his right and duty to prophesy. And he, this is what this is. This is kind of odd to us, these similes that he's using here. We're going to break them down to get better understanding. But he's using similes right here to answer the questions, possibly, of his protesters. Who are you? Who are you to come and judge us? Who do you think you are, right? I've had people ask me that before, right? And so this is what these three verses are about. It's him saying, let me tell you who I am, okay? And he starts off with a relationship saying, basically, a relationship is not accidental. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Think about that. You can meet accidentally with somebody and walk, but most of the times... It's an appointment. It's not by accident when you meet up with somebody, okay? And, of course, his, his, he knows what the answer should be. It's obviously no. When two people go for a walk, they have agreed for the purpose of their walk, right? And the time and the place they will meet. In other words, relationships are not 
accidental. And that's what he's saying here. God's relationship with Israel and vice versa was intentional. He's going back to the fact that God's in a covenant relationship with them. He said, this isn't an accident. You agreed to this. Yes, Abraham agreed, your father, but you also agreed to it. You, you, you can't say, hey, I'm a follower of Christ, and then go out here and live the way you want to. In other words, that's what he's saying. You can't say, I'm in a relationship with Yahweh, and then go out here and not live the, the way Yahweh has directed you to live. That, that's basically what he's saying right here. It was clear to Amos that Israel was not walking with God. They weren't walking with God. And they had broken their agreement, their covenant with the Lord. However, Amos, as you look, if you look at verse 7, you'll see that, we'll get there in a minute, was walking with God. And his close relationship to the Lord meant that God's immediate plan for Israel had been made known to him. He said, you're in a relationship with God, I'm but you're not honoring yours. I am. That's not a prideful statement. And God has chosen me. This isn't by accident. God has chosen me. He's chosen me, and now I'm speaking on behalf of him. The prophet now proceeds to warn them of the danger they're in. And he does this by asking them some questions which can be easily understood by them, okay? So, first, the prophet asks two rhetorical questions based on the habits of lions. We don't get this because we don't have lions. And, you know, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, right? We don't have them, but they did. Lions were, were commonly seen in their, in their territories, okay? He says, does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from his den if he has nothing, has taken nothing? So what's he saying? A hungry lion is quiet when he's hungry because he's stalking his prey. A lion doesn't go around roaring and growling when he's stalking something because what does that tell the prey? There's a lion around here, okay? You, you get the picture. He, they would understand this simile. They would understand it, right? But the moment he starts to pounce upon some unfortunate animal, he utters a triumphal roar. He's killed it. He's got it down. He's going to roar. Now, part of that roar, especially if it's a lioness, is to let the rest of the pride know that, hey, we now have dinner. Meets back on the menu, ladies, right? Meets back on the menu, boys, right? As we like to quote sometimes from a movie, okay? The point is that the prophetic warnings of judgment are as threatening as the roars of a lion. He's saying, look, God is roaring here. Do you not, I am roaring on behalf of God. God's roaring through me. He's warning you. You are his prey. You're his prey, okay? Um, think about this, Israel, says Amos. The time of roaring is fast approaching. The lion would not roar while he's in the thicket, his hiding place, if he had no prey. But soon the Lord will bring judgment upon his people. What nation does God use to bring judgment upon um, Israel, the northern, the northern uh, tribes? Remember? Assyria, right. Who did God use on the southern? Babylonians, right. Babylonia, right. And he, then he will be growling in his den because the punishment is being brought to bear upon Israel. Spiritually, this symbolizes God's satisfaction. It's not like God said, oh yeah, I punished them. But there's a judgment that has to be met. There has to be payment for their sin. And in the images, God has said, okay, I'm satisfied with the judgment I've brought upon them. Okay? Does that make sense? I know if you look at this, you say, what does that got to do with anything? Well, it has a lot to do with a lot for us today. Do you think maybe God's roaring today to the world? What do you think God's roaring to the world today? Come on. I'm not going to... 
coming soon. Running out of time, aren't we? Could we be the revelation generation? Could we be the generation that sees the rapture of the church? That's it. Yes. I mean, do you not think a pandemic is, God didn't design the pandemic uh, as a tool to get the world's attention? Did he get the world's attention? Debatable, isn't it? Did he get the church's attention? For a little while. Just being honest with you, for a little while. But as soon as the COVID, the shots come out and people feel more comfortable, and I'm glad we're feeling more comfortable to be able to get out and come to church, but it's almost like, okay, back to life. How do we go back to where it was before COVID? I don't know. Okay, let me continue. Two additional rhetorical questions come from the realm of the fowler. Okay, the guy who has, you know, the, the fowler, the, the have the hawk and so forth, okay, or catches birds, okay? He says, does a bird fall in a snare on the earth when there's no trap for it? Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has, when it has taken nothing? So birds were caught by spring nets, which were triggered by the bird when it went after the snare or went after the bait, whatever there to bait it. The point is that judgment is triggered by the actions, but not of God. Judgment is, tra- is not triggered by God. Judgment is triggered by the actions of the people. Understand that. That's, that's a powerful statement Amos is saying. He's, he's not saying God's about to bring judgment on you. He's saying you're about to bring judgment on you. In other words, you are triggering because you're not walking with God. You're, you're, you're defacing uh, the relationship that you have. You're not staying in step and covenant with Him. There's, it's automatic too? Sir? Like a trap, you're saying it's automatic? Automatic. It's, 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 I, I don't want to read more into it, but James, I get that feeling. Don't you? In other words, it's, it's not the, and don't get the idea that God's trying to trap us. That's not what, don't reverse it. He's just saying, look, reality is the trap is of the enemy, but the judgment is of God. See? Okay. And so we, we see that. It's, their sin had drawn them to destruction. God's judgment would spring upon and catch all sinners because there is judgment for your sin. God does not tempt you to sin. That's part of the human nature, the fall, the sinful nature. And Satan, our enemy, does that. But there is judgment for it. You know right from wrong. To him who knows it's sin, and he does it, or he who knows not to do it, he does it to him, it's sin. So we've been, it's clear. And and listen, we get the idea, and I know I say this all the time, but I want us to grasp this. The Bible's not a book of do's and don'ts. The Bible is God's instruction, revelation to us of how to, how to what? Live in his blessings. Live in his will. Live in his protection, his provision. It's how to. Blessings only come through obedience. Disobedience brings on what the Old Testament called the curses, and I've, and I've taught this before. It's not that God curses you, but what, God, what, what you happens, and when you don't walk in obedience to the Lord, you, you take away His hand of protection, provision, and guidance. Because why? You're stiff-necked people, to use a, a King James term. And God says, okay. I think, I think it was. I think it was. And here's the thing. I'm not trying to say that it was a trumpet 
sound or a blow or a warning, as we're going to get to the trumpet if we have time here, for the world as much as it was for the church. Now, yes, it was for the world. It affected the world. But what do you expect the world to do? They're going to turn to science. They're going to turn to the government. They're going to turn to Now, we hope that they... But the only way the world's going to turn to the Lord is if we are there to guide them to knowledge. Say, to the knowledge, saving knowledge of Christ. Okay? Next, Amos uses the illustration of a city alarm and the fear it brings. Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Now... The trumpet, the trumpet was blown for several reasons. Obviously, it was a trumpet blow for a call to worship. I mean, they used the trumpet because back then they didn't have PA systems. They didn't have technology. So, hey, we can blow a trumpet and we can communicate. But in this case, there was a trumpet blast that indicated oncoming danger, especially in, in villages and cities, right? Hey, the enemy is coming. There's something bad's about to happen. And so that's the image. They would understand this, okay? Uh, this was not blown unless the city was facing potential calamity. And the prophetic message was like an alarm sounding throughout the land. Israel had heard it, but chose to ignore the warning, right? Is a trumpet blown in the city and the people not afraid? The trumpet sounding in Israel, you're not afraid? Judgment is coming and you're not concerned? Hmm. I remember, I don't have a whole long time here because I want to get through 7 and 8, but I remember growing up in a little farming community outside Des Moines, Iowa. The name of the little town at Little then was Norwalk, Iowa. And um, it was right in the heart of tornadoes. We always had tornadoes up there. And they had a PA system with big speakers throughout the town. And when a tornado was spotted, we didn't have Dobbler and all that kind of stuff back then. It's just like, weather's bad. Someone sees a tornado, you get on your CB, or you called in and you let them know, and they would sound the alarm, tornado alarm. Wherever you were, you could hear that alarm. There's no way to deny that alarm, and you had a choice. When that alarm hit, you couldn't ignore it. You had a choice. You had to decide what were you going to do. Were you going to try to go to, if we was in school, we would all go to the hallway. If we was on the playground, we, we had a facility we would go to. They taught us in school, if you're not in school, you're in your yard, get it. we had basements. Get to your basement, safest place to be. If you're not around the basement, you're on the street, get to a ditch. Do something, because why? Peril is coming, the storm is coming, it's going to hurt you, it can kill you, see? And that's kind of what, what Amos is talking about here. We had to decide, but you dare not ignore it. In this case, Israel ignored it. Ignore the warning. Impeding judgment was coming. Then Amos asked the question, does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? What this question stresses, and we sometimes as Christians today forget this attribute of God. It may not be an attribute, but this fact about God. It, it stresses God's sovereignty. God's a sovereign God. Now he can only, he has to do what he does based on his word. Otherwise he's not God. So that is good and that's bad, isn't it? Because there's some good things in here he says he's going to do that are great. But there's also some things in here because he's a God. He is a God of grace. 
He's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. And to be honest with you, He shows all of that in the history of Israel up to this point. But He's first and foremost the God of judgment. Because if He wasn't first and foremost the God of judgment, then we wouldn't need Christ to die for us. We wouldn't need a blood sacrifice. That makes sense? He's a God of judgment. Judgment has to be met. Now because of the blood of Christ, our sins are forgiven. They're not held against us. But when we sin against God after we're saved, it's not like those sins don't exist. They're still under the blood, but there are repercussions we're accountable. And sometimes disaster happens in our lives because of our sin. And I've said this before, uh, and I know I've got some themes that I, I repeat over and over because they, they are, they're, they're just rooted in my spirit. When you get yourself in a mess because of decisions you've made or didn't make, you've, you made some poor decisions or you didn't do some things God led you to do, and I'm not even talking about sin, just some things God directed you to do you didn't do, you know they're of God. You choose not to do them. God can fix your mess, but He's not obligated to. And, you know, a couple weeks ago, I used example. If I'm out speeding, I can pray all I want to. God, don't let me get a ticket. Don't let me get a ticket. God, forgive me for speeding. All right, you're forgiven, but there's no guarantee I won't. Con- you're not going. Con- there's consequences. See. And so here, it's the, we're talking about the, the stressing the sovereignty of God. He is the author of all fortune. He's the author of all good. And I know this, this goes against our grain. He's also the author, not that he is evil. Let me quantify what I'm going to say. But the evil is a part of it. Meaning that all that happens must be assigned either to the active or permissive will of God. Not that God is evil. Don't... Please don't go around. Yeah, Pastor said God. No, no, no. God is not evil. He's anything but evil. But we have to understand, did God allow COVID-19? Did it kill people? Could we say that COVID-19 was evil? God didn't. I'm not. Hear me now. You, you see where I'm going? God permitted it. Was that his perfect will? I don't think it was his perfect will. I don't. But it was permissive. Why? Well, we don't fully understand, but we can take some shots. One was to get the church's attention. We know that there is another trumpet that's going to sound very soon. This, this reminds us that this is temporary. It also reminds us that our life is temporary. We lost a few people in our fellowship to it. And it reminds us we're not guaranteed tomorrow. I trust God with my life. He orders my steps. Unless the trumpet sounds, one day I will go by the grave. And it might be in a car accident. It may be from cancer. It may be at the hands of my wife. We don't know. I know it was getting very heavy, so I had to say something funny. But however God permits it, I trust Him. And that's kind of off subject, but I want, I want to bring us back to what Amos is trying to say to us here. Basically, he's saying, he's sounding the warning trumpet. It's a call to repentance designed to put the citizens on alert. It is a foolish person who takes no precautions when an alarm is sounded, but Israel made no attempt to take, or made no attempt to avoid action when the prophet gave warning of God's impeding judgment. 
They did nothing. And sadly, in Amos' day, the people refused to tremble. They were, they were complacent, and they refused to believe that when disaster comes to a city, the Lord has caused it. Verses 7 and 8, we'll end with this. Let's see what my time is like. Okay, I've got a few moments here. For the Lord God does nothing without revealing His secret to His servants, the prophet. Remember earlier when I said that, basically Amos said, you're not living for God, but I am. And that's why God used me. Well, here's the proof. He's saying, I'm a, I'm a prophet. I'm living for God. I'm following God. And so God does nothing without revealing His secret to His servants, the prophet. The lion has roared. Has roared. That's a past tense statement there. Who will not fear? If the lions roared, are you not afraid? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? He says, God's spoken. I can't help but say what He's laid on my heart to say. I don't want to be the grim reaper. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news. But I have to walk in obedience to God, and I have to give you the message that God has given me. And he's, the lion has roared. God has roared the warning. That's what He's talking about. All right? See, God is a God of compassion. He never brings calamity upon a city or upon people without warning the people. He reveals His secret purpose to His servant. Okay? He reveals to them the, the certainty and the significance of the coming calamity. God is revealing this to them. Why does God warn us? This is easy. Why does God warn us? Let's go back. Why is God warning them? To change His mercy. He's a God of judgment. I don't want to judge you this way. So let me warn you, if you don't turn from your wickedness, if you don't turn from your sin, if you don't return to me, I, this is the warning. Calamity is going to come. Calamity is going to come and it will destroy you. He does it because he wants us to repent, to turn from our sins before judgment falls on us. Okay, Like a mighty lion about to pounce on the prey, God roared forth His warning to Israel. This warning roar should cause every citizen of Israel to be afraid. The roar here refers to the word of God, the word God has spoken through Amos and the people had heard. Whether or not men feared, a necessity was laid on Amos to prophesy. And like Jeremiah, Paul, and other great preachers, this prophet felt a compulsion to share the divine message. Judgment's coming. And we've been warned in the New Testament, judgment's coming. This, I know this ain't a very encouraging, yay, 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 man. Bible study night. Friends, judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. Judge. And it's interesting that we're told in the Word of God, where should repentance start? In the house of God. And of course, we can go right. To, we've heard it for a year since COVID. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and repent of their wickedness, I think I messed a step in there. Forgive me. And he said, I will hear from heaven. And I'll heal their land. I'll forgive their sin. And I'll heal their land. It begins with repentance, and it begins with repentance with us. Judgment's coming. Now, here's the great news: if judgment falls on our country and you're a child of God, and you're living under the protection, I don't want to say you don't have, you don't have anything to worry. I ain't going to say you don't have anything to worry. Don't worry. God's got you. doesn't mean we won't suffer. Did we all suffer through COVID? 
Did everybody suffer? Brother Ben read from uh, Spurgeon's accounts in, in England uh, about uh, what, what was the virus that... Uh, that's okay. It, anyways, it was... Uh, it affected people, good or bad. It affected Christians and non-believers alike. And my point is... The cholera, that's it. My point being is, is that it, it affects all of us. But we, we don't need to live in fear of that. It's the sovereign hand of God. I don't think those who are in our fellowship who died to COVID, that was a punishment from God. It wasn't a punishment. It was collateral damage. And this is sound harsh, but I have to believe my personal theology based on the Word of God we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we believed and we believed and believed. It wasn't a lack of faith. It wasn't a lack of prayer. Then it must have been God's will. Because God's a sovereign God. And He protects His children. You know, Pastor Tony, we talked Monday night a little bit after we had prayer. And the one thing that you asked, you said, uh, Thank you for joining our podcast. Here at Bear Creek AG, our goal is to help others know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Have a great week.